You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Wisdom podcast. We get to speak to Michelle Palacia today. And I don't know if you guys know Michelle, but if you do, it's we're going to be talking about birth. (laughs) (laughs) Today we are talking about birth. (laughs) Uh, Michelle is a birth keeper and birth photographer and very much aligned with the types of birth stories that we share and the type of birth that we've experienced and the type of birth that we'll continue to experience personally. And I just think that this type of conversation and context around birth is just so darn important to be shared and explored. Mm -hmm. So, Michelle, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me on to your podcast. been so excited to talk with you beautiful ladies. So, thank you. Thank you. No, we appreciate it. We love we love being able to explore these topics with people who live, <laughs> breathe and embody this. So it's it's um it's gonna be great to have you on and to share your knowledge and wisdom with mm. our listeners. So let's just start by just a quick intro on how you kind of fell into this work. Yeah. Um so yeah, my name is Michelle. I'm a birth keeper and I am based in Brisbane and I support families through pregnancy birth and the integration into postpartum in Brisbane and on the Sunshine Coast. I'm a mother to two, I was gonna say boys, I always say boys, but men, and a stepmom to three and a grandmother to three. Um, I was originally a birth photographer, so about seven, maybe eight years ago. And um, I stepped into a dual role because I found myself, I would deliver the album of photos to these beautiful families. And then I was constantly wondering how they were going, how they were going, were they being supported? How were they feeling? And then I discovered the role of a doula because I always thought it was just a midwife or nothing. There was nothing in between. And becoming a midwife just didn't sit It didn't sit with me. I didn't feel called to do that and I now know why. But um, I studied and um, did a course to become a doula and I did that. And then so I was supporting births in hospital, uh, mainly hospital, and then I photographed my first home birth and it was just just the difference um, was amazing And I'll never forget the midwives that were at that home birth. They are definitely the unicorn midwives, traditional midwives, uh, because I then went on to um, support more home births. And I just went from that first home birth thinking, this is amazing. This is how all midwives, you know, practice. And then I went into more home births and realised, ah, no, they were actually unicorns and they are practicing traditional midwifery, whereas the mid, the midwives that I did work with afterwards, I noticed were bringing a lot of the hospital systemic values into the home. So I then, probably about three years ago now, 
uh, made the conscious decision not to attend any planned hospital births because as a doula, I was finding that my role in essence was to hold the hand of a woman and guide her into a space where she was most probably going to be abused and not listened to and coerced and be left as um, a shell of herself. And I wasn't okay with that because I had witnessed a free birth. So I had noticed and seen the difference. So I couldn't do that anymore. Um, I absolutely will go into a hospital and transfer with a mum if she feels like she needs to transfer during birth. I will do that, but I, I won't attend planned hospital births. Um, I just couldn't do that for my soul and my energy. Mm, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you touched on that because I, I have also dabbled in birth photography. And yes. I haven't attended any planned hospital births, but I have been to um, birth centre births and I still like trying to remove my own biases and prejudice from the like what I feel a birth space is about, Gee, even just as a photographer, like I'm nothing else, just a photographer. I found really difficult. I found it really, really difficult. I'd, I'd see women, you know, a clumsy midwife accidentally poke a woman with a mirror and oh. as like it, during a contraction and I saw that baby move back inside her real fast. Like things like that where I was just like I can't, I actually can't see that and be silent but it's not doing anyone in here a favor if I'm not silent so I just felt I felt the same um yeah. just being in a hospital for a birth yeah. unless ne like medically necessary and Absolutely. yeah um it just it didn't feel right and mm. yeah and I, I guess and it's hard because you know women are screaming for other women to support them in the hospital but it's mm. it's just not co cohesive like no. yeah and I think that's the discussion I guess we're going to go into today mm. I'd um, love to um just start by by asking you what you kind of define or see or did see the differences between those more traditional unicorn midwives as you call them versus midwives that were bringing in the kind of medicalized method of delivering and I'm not going to say yeah. delivering too often because I know how you feel about it Michelle <laughs> <laughs> no one delivers a baby the mother brings it <laughs> I got it I got it <laughs> but I'm going to just use it for that one why not okay yeah, don't yell at me <laughs> the things that I that really stood out for me were that these midwives literally sat on their hands and sat in another room to where mum was in the pool with her husband um, labouring. So they were able to be in another room and actually listen to the sounds that mum was making and then that would determine for them sort of what was going on. They didn't poke and prod her, ask her to move, touch the water, ask her if she wanted a vaginal exam or come in with, you know, um, even doing hip squeezes or um, counter pressure without mum asking or without mum 
noticing that mum was moving in a particular way and may have needed that support, they were just in another room, literally in another room. And if they weren't in the other room, they were around the corner from where mum could see them. So she couldn't actually see them. She could feel their presence and their energy, absolutely, but she couldn't see them. So she wasn't being watched. Mm. That was a big one. Um, The other thing was these midwives weren't watching the time. So definitely been at home births where midwives are watching the time and watching for progress. Um, And then there's that sense of that feeling in the room of inconvenience almost from midwives, like this is taking too long or the contractions are not um, creating a pattern. Um, I've even been asked by a midwife before if I had a contraction timing app on my phone that she could use. And I said, I don't have one of those. I don't do that. And she's like, oh, I'll have to download one because I need to know what's going on with these contractions instead of just being okay in the not knowing and trusting that everything was unfolding as it needed to. So I think that's the main thing is um, not sitting there staring, not feeling like they need to do something. And these traditional midwives definitely do not have an air of ego about them. You can definitely feel that ego energy in a birth space and that can affect everything. Mm. Yeah, I've definitely experienced both of those, all of those things. And I feel like... I wonder where, like, where does this pushiness and this ego come from with these midwives? Do you think, I mean, underneath it all, they actually have the best interest at heart or they're just kind of super blindsided by the medical kind of establishment? And I hate using that word because it's kind of Mm. icky, but Mm. what, yeah, like, why do you think that they're like that? I think they're like that because they, um, to be honest, care more about their registration with the system than the woman. Mm. So these, and all midwives do, even traditional midwives, if they're registered with APRA, but there are ways around doing it. So all they need to do is ask a woman, do you want to have this test? And they just have to note down if mum does or not. They don't have to pressure the mum to have that because I think some midwives fear being reported to APRA, being investigated by APRA. Yeah, I've heard Rachel Reed quoted quite a few times saying, you know, if a midwife hasn't been reported to APRA, she's not doing her job properly. That's so interesting because a lot of people yeah. would obviously look at a midwife who's been reported or had something go wrong and it's like, oh, steer clear of her. But I personally worked with a midwife who'd been reported heaps and I was told by more med, med medwives that... Yes. Um, it's not smart to be working with her or you shouldn't be working with her or that's dangerous or there's no insurance, there's no this, there's no that. But, yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely learning that those midwives are the ones that you want around. Yeah, absolutely. I get really curious, Michelle, because I've, um, I've had three unassisted births now and one, my first was in hospital and then three unassisted births after that. And I, I really wonder about things like the, the certain aspects of birth that we're monitoring because I have had three unassisted births and they are all wildly different. My mm-hmm. contractions in the first unassisted birth were 
what you would probably call textbook. They got bigger and closer together with each contraction then the baby came out at the end. Um, my, second, my, my second unassisted birth was 20 contractions mm-hmm. over the space of six hours and they never got closer than 10 minutes together and the baby came out. Baby came out. Yeah. Baby came out. And mm. then my third was <laughs> I was in labour, then I wasn't in labour, then I was pushing for two hours and 12 hours later the baby came out. Like it was just <laughs> I like went to period pain again and didn't like stopped, moved, things felt pinchy and then a baby came out. So yeah. I just wonder and that's all within the one woman and if that's all just within me, like how different birth can be and look in all these different women how do we get these standardized ways of monitoring progression yeah i think it really comes down to the systemic need to control women and their bodies you know because it feels uncomfortable if someone can't control a woman and what how she's feeling and what her body's doing instead of just being okay and stepping back and being all right in the unknown because birth is the unknown and we're not meant to know how it's going to flow and how it's going to happen. We're meant to trust. Mm. That's what we're meant to do. Because in our bodies we innately know how to birth, but we need to be left to do that and to trust that process. Mm. Yeah, I think it comes down to all about control and also with that control comes disconnection. So disconnecting women from their bodies telling them, okay, your contractions are going to get less and less and less. And then when they're, I don't even know now, five minutes apart or something, call the hospital and come up and then we'll check you and we'll tell you if you're in labour. You know, you you might tell us, but we're going to go, mm, no, what would you know? You know, we're going to tell you if you're in labour kind of thing. So taking everything away from the woman and the trust and taking back that control from the woman when really we need to step back and just let her do it and create that safe space for her to do that. Yeah, it kind of seems like the thing that's in between us doing that as women, well, I think there's a couple of things. It's us understanding that it's a full responsibility on our turn because obviously like a lot of women just rock up to the hospital when they feel a niggle and they have no connection to them, their baby. They have no idea that their body's how it's opening up and how things are going to play out or what to expect and then they put the full trust into these midwives in the hospital who I think over time have evolved maybe even to have to take responsibility for these women and step up as like an extension of their body almost like giving them like red light, green light instructions and painting this picture for them and now we want it back and I feel like there's this pull of I'm taking back the responsibility but it's met with this ego and this like this resistance from the medwives or non-traditional medwives with the ego of like, well, you're an idiot, you're irresponsible, your baby's going to die. Mm-hmm. And but and that I think originates, like the that thought process originates from the hospital system. Because yeah. mm. it's fear, it's rooted by fear. Like midwives mm. don't I, – I think a good midwife or most midwives still – see enough birth to be like that's just what you're going to do like suck it up woman get it done kind of thing Mm. but there's a lot of resistance and non-acceptance of people wanting to birth in full responsibility and it's fascinating to me yeah it is and going back to like hospital birth and that disconnection 
my sons are 28 and 26 and I can vividly remember this is a core memory etched into my mind and my body uh, when I was birthing him 28 years ago I was told to um, not be so loud I was being too loud and I was going to scare the other mums on the ward and then they very um, so that I could hear it they shut the door and they said you need to you need to just be quiet so I believe at that moment what happened was they definitely severed like my voice because I followed them. I followed what they said. So they disconnected, even though I allowed it, they disconnected me from my voice. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was when I moved through menopause. I moved through menopause quite early um, in my early 40s, late 30s. I believe then my voice actually returned. So mm-hmm. that right through menopause brought my voice back but it was taken from me through birth through one of the most the most powerful things a woman can do and I do believe the system knows that that it's very powerful Um, there's a powerful activation that happens during birth for women and we can't have women feeling powerful we can't have women walking around feeling powerful because you know that's quite dangerous so taking that from women is what happens But then when you come around again into your next rite of passage of menopause, my voice returned. And that's actually when I stepped into birth work. Mm, That's really fascinating. A real cycle for me. Yeah. I'd love to add to that because they may may have told you to be quiet. But I remember my first birth when I walked into the hospital and they chucked the monitors on my belly and they're like, oh, you're having contractions. And I was like really? Am I having contractions? And they're like, yeah, can't you feel it? I'm like, no, can't feel that. And they're like, oh, you're going to be a quiet one, aren't you? I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you now I absolutely wasn't (laughs) because it's very much in pre-labor at that stage. But even just like, I guess, you know, off the cuff, that midwife was probably thinking that they were saying something really nice. But internalizing that, I was like, oh, like That's it's a good thing yeah the expectation yeah. or you're a good birthing you're a good girl, girl. Mm, yeah if you are quiet so yes. um yeah it's it, the language that is used and I mean it's not just in hospitals it's everywhere it's in society it's in your group oh. of friends like it's very very powerful especially and I've said this before but I'll beat this dead horse (laughs) when you're pregnant you're so bloody vulnerable and you're so open and you're so like like you can take in everything everyone says and it's and and it's a time where you shouldn't have to think about being like deflecting all of the comments that come your way but unfortunately the world we live in like as a pregnant woman you have to be like teflon yeah and it's um yeah it's and it hasn't it hasn't changed from when you were birthing to when yeah yeah. absolutely it's definitely gotten worse I do believe um my hospital births were not anything like what I've seen absolutely not um it's definitely gotten worse and I'm not really a stats person but looking at the stats I think we're at 40 percent cesarean rate uh which is atrocious absolutely out of this world atrocious you cannot tell me that 40 percent of women need a cesarean that's just not true it's just absolutely not true Mm. I don't think we need stats or any 
no any scientific <laughs> research to say that. I mean, most women that you speak to, they're like, oh, yeah, and then this happened and this happened and then I needed a C-section and it's like clearly not necessary. But um, that, it's like the perfect cascade yeah. of interventions. Like you just hear it play out over and over again. Mm. You're like... We haven't learnt this one yet. <laughs> I feel like it's super easy to vilify midwives in this current climate and it used to be obstetrics and now it's both of them. And yeah. I do feel like this is where we need to turn the self, like really look at women as our, ourselves and, you know, encourage and get together with women and kind of have these conversations about, well, actually it's not your midwives or obstetricians' responsibility to bring your baby into this world and you know teach you how you're going to do this and how things are going to plan out because I know there's also a lot of midwives um, who work in the system who are very much like medwives but they're also sick and tired of how the system at larger plays where they have to fill out all this paperwork they've got boxes to tick they've got they've got their thing that they're actually held against and they have to perform in certain ways and I think that obviously leans more to you know, that cascade of intervention and doing things that they don't really necessarily believe in, but they're also doing it. And so I feel like we can really, yeah, like vilify the entire birth system in the system, but I'd really love to continue to just shine a light on our responsibility in that and how if we're pregnant we know this. We can hear a million of these stories. We can talk to women who accidentally wound up having a C-section when they didn't want one. But ultimately it's most likely their responsibility and their fault that they walked into that, With even if it's unconscious. And I know that sounds harsh. Mm. But how do we – I want to talk to – Well, it is, it is nuanced. I couldn't – because we do – we also give midwives a little break here because <laughs> it, it's a nuanced um, topic in the way that – like I, I know midwives who are fantastic but they are still very much held in that system. But to be able to support, support you know, say in the home birth program, they've, you know, worked really hard to get this program and to be able to keep that funding coming and keep being able to support women to be at home, which statistically is proving safer than birthing in a hospital, we – you know, they have to tick these boxes, you know, and, and there is just that litigation. So they're like held by this to be able to produce mm. this. And it's <laughs> like, it is, it's a really big cycle. So I think. That's what it, I mean. It's yeah, like something that we can. We need to know that that's most likely going to happen. And yes, empowering yeah. mothers and their partners mm. is probably the most successful path to take. Yeah. So prepping for that. And understanding fully in that nine months mm. what is going to happen. So. And, and I think a lot of the time for a lot of people, they don't even know that it's actually an option to find out that you're pregnant and go about your business and grow your baby and birth your baby at home. Like they actually, it's so conditioned to them to bring in a medical person. Like it actually is an option. It's not illegal to birth your baby how you want to birth your baby. Mm. So when we're given options, like when people, <coughs> excuse me, do go, say that they do go to their GP or they find out, their GP will say, okay, you've got these options. You know, you can go to hospital and some, a really good one might say, you can find a midwife and birth at home. 
but none of them will say, or you can do nothing and just continue to grow your baby and birth your baby at home. Like none of them would say that, Mm. whereas that option isn't being talked about in any of the documentaries that I'm witnessing, none of them. You know, they're, they're not saying these are actually your options and one of them includes doing nothing. You don't have to have a medical provider there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and look, I think that's a conditioning we've had from so young because, I mean, yeah. I fell into that. Like as soon as I found out I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to go to the doctor and they need to confirm this and I need a blood test to make sure it's happening. And that's <laughs> like and, you know, went down that path and then, even, you know, the second and third time I still went down, like in my pregnancies, I was still in that allopathic care. Um, But just absolutely didn't want to go near it for the birth experience. (laughs) And that's a deep conditioning that for a lot of women is part of their birth prep, unravelling that deep conditioning of outsourcing responsibility for their body Mm. and for themselves and taking that back. And that comes in the sign of when women approach me, they're sort of like, I just don't feel like I want to birth, you know, with a medical provider. And I'll say, then don't. Like if that's the feeling and that's the message that you're getting, because that is a message that you're getting from your baby. Mm. And I feel like for a lot of women, what happens is there's a lot of distractions for them. So when you're pregnant, your baby definitely gives you messages about how they want to come through. They definitely do. But for a lot of women, the distractions happen in terms of the tests, the scans, the I need to do this workshop and this course. Um, I need to read this book and watch this video in regards to learning how to birth instead of taking a step back and going, it's actually inside me. Mm -hmm. I know how to do this. I don't need to be taught how to breathe. I don't need to be taught what positions to get into. I don't need to be taught anything what I actually need to have a look at is all of the other stuff that I've pushed down into my womb and my baby is giving me these messages saying, Mum, you need to look at this because I don't want to be birthed through this. You've pushed this down for too long and if you don't get rid of this, I'm going to be birthed through it and it's going to become part of my imprint and I don't want that. Mm. And that's so beautiful too because, I mean, and this is coming from my own experience, there's such a muffling of our intuition throughout life and and so when it does come into the birth space and I'm even going through it now where I'm like oh is that my intuition and I'll I'll cross check myself and then cross examine myself again and then be like okay I need to just calm down (laughs) and and like it I don't don't know if that's conditioning or I'm just highly strung human could be a bit of both hard because Mm. we're also in a position where we're now both pregnant and we're, you know, having these conversations and we're having a lot of output and it's hard as it is to call in your intuition Mm. when this is maybe your first time being fully dependent on it. Mm. And so I think to be having those moments where you're like, is that my intuition? Is that my anxiety? (laughs) Is that my insecurity? Is that my fear? Is that my experience? (laughs) But, But I think something beautiful that you touched on there, Michelle, is that it's not just our intuition. Like mm. if we if we tune out and tap in, we're actually getting wisdom from our baby as well. And yes. it's, we're not alone in it. So I think that's really beautiful because it's not something that I've considered before. I'm like, oh, I'm all alone in this and like, I have to make all the decisions. <laughs> Your baby is there and communicating with you. Mm. So those distractions that we go through, 
when outsourcing takes us away from baby mm-hmm. and that's the first step of the disconnection, right? Because we're being disconnected from our baby, from our body, from our intuition. Because as you know, your intuition and instincts are heightened during pregnancy to protect you from predators, just like animals, to protect you from predators. So when you get like a red flag or something, mm, that doesn't feel right. It's That's because it's not right. So that's where you need to have a look and set a boundary and just go, okay, I'm not, I'm not going there or I'm not doing that. I'm not talking to that person. But if something comes up for you in terms of something that you may not have even thought about, something through your childhood or mother wounding, sister wounding, father wounding, um, previous birth trauma that comes up, that's what needs to be looked at. Mm. And that's prep work. And I definitely have some women who are just like, Michelle, I got nothing. Like nothing's coming up for me. I'm like, sweet, just keep going. Like your baby's going to grow. Your baby's going to flick up the things that I need to be looked at. Because a visual that I have that I see all the time is if you've ever seen like a nature documentary and you see a camera down in like a creek, a very shallow creek where there's like salmon swimming and you'll see the sediment at the bottom of the water and the little pebbles and then the fish comes along. So what I see is that your baby is in there and they're just in there in the water having a jolly time. And then whenever there's something that they feel you need to have a look at, they flick it up, like they flick that sediment up and that's that feeling that you get. Oh, why am I thinking about that thing that my mother did years ago that has sat heavy with me? That's your baby flicking up the things that you need to have a look at. And if you don't look at them, they go back down and they sit with the other rocks And then your baby bursts through them and it becomes part of their imprint. Mm. That's how I see it. I've noted that. (laughs) Start working (laughs) on your shit. Well, I've got lots of things. I've got like a lot of those wounds and birth trauma. I mean, nothing, you know, it's minimal compared to, but it's still mine. Um, And, you know, that you can collect a lot of that when you've had four births already. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it's sitting there Mm. and for you to have that. And it's not sort of, I wouldn't want you to sort of go, I have to do this work, I have Mm. to do this other work, otherwise I'm not going to be able to birth my baby. For some women it happens during labour and then they're able to leave it in that fire that they walk through. Mm. Rage comes up in labour and that's a good thing. Sometimes we're told, oh, don't be angry in labour because you don't want to put that on your baby. If it comes up during labour, it's meant to come up during labour and you can leave that in the flame and then it just disintegrates and goes. Mm. Speaking of flames, you said something somewhere about your job being able to sit with women who are being engulfed by flames but not be part of it. And that's like, and to me I was like, oh, I feel like that's what a traditional authentic midwife would do. It's looking at it as something that's happening to her and not something that is your responsibility or your job to fix or interfere with or save. Like that woman doesn't need saving. She's being engulfed by something incredibly necessary. And to interfere with that would be like, I don't know. Yeah, well, you're taking her rite of passage away from her. Yeah. Like, I definitely yeah. felt that in my most recent birth, which yeah. is bringing up some stuff for me right now. But <laughs> but I had – I don't know if you know Mimi, um, Michelle? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah. she was taking photos for me in my most recent birth. And, um, and the last hour of that labour before Poet emerged into the world, I was – 
absolutely in the fire, <laughs> putting it mildly engulfed. <laughs> engulfed. Like, and I, I walked away from it. And I mean, at the time I was like, oh, it's my last birth. So great. But I, <laughs> now. Um, famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> but I was like, I, like my, my two births before that, I had like, like uh, oh, a little pinch in the hips and that was my transition. And the baby just came out and I was like. <laughs> Easy. I'm so good at this. <laughs> and then Poet was like, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> let me show you what you're good at. Um, but I remember Mimi a few weeks later was just like, because this was before she had her own sovereign birth. And she was just like, it was so inspiring to be there because like seeing you go through that. She was like, like while I was capturing that, she's like, all I could think was, am I doing that again? (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, and then as soon as you had that baby in your arms, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm doing that again. (laughs) Like that is like, because that is it. Like if I was saved, if someone tried to take the pain away or the intensity away or disrupt it in any way shape or form I mean I left that birth with four children that I had have to mother and uh, like very often on my own and coming away from that birth I was like I can actually like I can walk through hell and be fine like completely unscathed I'm sweet yeah (laughs) I got this and I wouldn't have that internalized power if yeah, if I had anyone there to distract save me, save me, feed me, Sorry, whatever but it is. I'll, you can be fed. <laughs> Not in that stage, I can't. Not in oh, that stage. No. No, the no, food no. would just disintegrate before you. Yeah, I'd like look at it and just like burn into flame. And you would be what the system would call a dangerous woman. Mm, I love that. Because you were powerful. <laughs> you know what I mean? You felt that power. Yeah. You went through that activation and you're like, yeah, hell yeah, I can do that. I can do anything. Mm. Like having these women rise and just feel powerful, mm. how we're meant to feel mm. because there is that activation that's how we're meant to feel as women and it takes nothing away from the masculine. They're both needed in mm. different mm. ways. It takes nothing away from the masculine. But for the feminine to feel powerful, that's dangerous. Mm. Mm. That's dangerous. And I believe that's why there's a huge disconnection because they can't have that. As a birth keeper who, who has felt like has labelled that as like your job to just observe and allow and fully trust in birth and the woman to birth, mm. have you ever, I mean, like how does your ego go when looking at something and you might see something that's like, oh, like mm. oh, this could be dangerous or like, could she should transfer or whatever like have you had those moments where you've been pushing and pulling with your ego or even just Um, your feeling of intuition maybe my a feeling of uncomfortability not a feeling of oh this is dangerous um or feeling like I think we need to transfer that's never come across my mind because it's always the woman's decision um but definitely some feelings of like the big one for me is like if a woman hasn't been moving very much in labour um, because if they're not following what their body needs to do, sometimes, sometimes like that can contribute to shoulder dystocia. 
which I've witnessed before because a woman was literally just completely stiff and not moving. So I have definitely had to check myself before um, I sort of went to walk in and I'm like, mm, hang on a second, is this, where's this coming from? Is it me? Uh, it's me, okay. And I actually had to leave the room. I just left the room and took a moment, come back to myself, and she had moved. So had I intercepted at that time, I would have messed up her energy. I would have taken her away from where she was. She was deep in the 5D realm where you need to go to both your baby and pull her back out into the 3D, 4D. And that's mm. what I, yeah. yeah. Mm. So definitely I think a lot of a lot of birth workers do need to check themselves in terms of ego and are they going in because they feel uncomfortable, like they're seeing something in the space, oh, this doesn't feel good for me. I'm going to be able to fix this for her. I'm going to make be able to make her feel better so it, it actually helps them and that's ego coming mm. into it mm. and that can ruin everything. everything. Yeah, because I guess a lot of midwives are like coming from the point of view is like, well, I just want the baby to survive. Mm. And so that's where their ego is like, well, my job is for that baby to survive. But I think there's nuance because like obviously all mothers want their baby to survive. Like it goes without saying. And so do birth keepers, birth workers, stoolers, midwives, obstetrics. But it feels like, and I repeat this on all of our birth conversations, it just keeps coming up that the more women are left alone, in their own worlds, in their own, you know, this this really ripe time and they're not poked and prodded, they're not around people, they're in their environment, they feel safe, they feel protected and they're fully trusting. Mm-hmm. So many times nothing happens, nothing Absolutely. bad goes wrong. They just do their thing. Yeah. And they I can definitely out. say that in comparison to the births that I've witnessed, the undisturbed births where nothing is done. And I'm finding more and more with these undisturbed births, if women aren't even touched, like even from their partners, not sort of patted and, you know, rubbed Mm. and stuff, unless they want to be, Mm. they just go ahead and birth their baby. Most of the time they just need to be left alone. Mm. Mm. That's what we do with animals. We're not there stroking animals when they go and find their safe space to birth. Checking their cervix. Right, checking post <laughs> all right, they just do it. Mm. <laughs> and leaving women just to birth undisturbed is what we need to do. Mm. And definitely for anyone in the birth space, being able to witness a woman being engulfed, I'll go back to the flame, mm. being engulfed by the flame and allowing, so for birth partners, sometimes it can be really hard for them because they're witnessing their partner go through this flame and be engulfed and be disintegrated essentially because they're going to come out the other side a different person. But they have to be able to sit there and feel the heat of those flames wash over them and not let it affect them. Mm. You can definitely see and feel anyone in the birth space who's feeling the flames and then being affected because they will sort of tense up and they will want to save because they're like, this doesn't feel good for me. I need to reach in and grab her and pull her out. Mm. And then it just derails everything. I think a little hint for our men out there is that your sole job is to protect the space. So you're not protecting her. You can't, like you cannot Mm. protect her, but you can protect the space and you Mm -hmm. can protect the environment. 
And in my husband's case, he's caught a few babies, <laughs> a, l- a couple of extra hands because I tend to want to birth over tiles and <laughs> have to hold on to something while I'm doing it. So, <laughs> so he's got that extra role. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's a big one. And actually, that leads me to my next question for you, Michelle, because um, you do hear the story a lot of women who are like. I'd love to free birth. I'd love to wild, wild pregnancy, however we want to term that. But my partner is just not on board. He doesn't feel comfortable with it. So in, I mean, have you witnessed that in any of your couples? How have they navigated that? Yeah, so with a lot of my most recent couples, um, the partners are on board from the get-go. And, um, but definitely I've had previous couples where the partner was just like, I am not okay with this. Like, this feels big. This feels like a lot. So when that comes up for men, that's their invitation. That's the work that they need to do. So let's have a look at that. Where does that come from? Is that previous birth trauma? Because we've got so many men walking around with birth trauma and PTSD from witnessing what their women went through Mm -hmm. and that they weren't able to step into the masculine and save her. And they're not being, it's not being talked about. So it's still in them. So they need an opportunity to express their birth story because they have a birth story after witnessing what was done. So it can come from that. Definitely comes from a misunderstanding of the physiology of birth and how to support the physiology of birth. And when men get an understanding of that, the hormones and all of that sort of thing and and what they can do and what their role is, then they tend to relax. But if they have a look at, for a lot of men, it'll come up like, what happens if the cord's around the neck? Mum will unravel it. It's not an emergency. We've been told that that's an emergency and it's just simply not true. Mm. So showing men these videos but answering their questions. What happens if mum bleeds? Well, we've got some things that can support that and we can do that. Um, But supporting the physiology of birth helps to, you know, not have extra bleeding because if you have people poking and prodding you with everything and intercepting the space that's when all of that stuff happens so I think men need to be given the opportunity to ask their questions Um, and women need to definitely stand their ground because I have seen births be derailed because a woman has followed the man's comfortability Mm -hmm. so he wasn't comfortable to birth at home so they're both in hospital and she's moving through birth trauma yeah he's fine he feels good but she's moving through birth trauma and that's not okay I think it's because like men naturally feel like they need to have like the control or not the control but taking the lead and being the protector and if he doesn't know how to protect his pregnant wife then Mm. he has no control of the outcome there's nothing he can do and that is incredibly he's failed failed. and so that's incredibly vulnerable for them like I know it's my partner's face is like, yeah, but I'm going to prepare for a worst case scenario with or without you. I'm like, great, go for Excellent. it. But I don't want to yeah. know about it. <laughs> don't tell me what the worst <laughs> case scenario is. Yeah, because that's not your work to do. You're doing yeah. enough. But I respect, I love that because I'm like, I feel protected. I feel safe. I feel like you're doing your job, but don't jeopardize it for me <laughs> by yeah. telling me that this is what you're looking out for. <laughs> yeah. And that will help him because it Mm. brings awareness when we have that knowledge and that education. And men's brains work different to us. Mm. So something I always do with the couples that I work with, I always ask what the partners do for work. 
because it can give me an insight into how their brain works. Mm. So for a lot of them, if they're hands-on or engineers or something, they need to know how things work. So they need to know how a woman's body works during birth and how best that can be supported. Mm. A lot of them like lists, give me a list of what I need to do, like dot points. Give me some jobs, like the birth Mm. pool is their job. Make sure that tap. Make sure that hose and tap, that tap before. This is so Brendan. That is your job. <laughs> that is your job. Make sure it happens and leave them to it because they need to be given jobs. Mm, yeah. You know, otherwise they don't feel useful. Yeah. And the other thing too, it highlights for a lot of couples trust mm. in the relationship. But I think if the woman's not trusting herself, there's yeah. no way he's going to be able to do it. Like mm. if she, yeah. You know, and I've had this conversation with Brenton. I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, like I'm really thinking of this. Like I just need to know you're on the same page. He's like, if you feel strongly about that and that's what you want to do, that's it. Mm. But if I was like, oh, I just, I'm not sure. Like I just, yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to make this decision. I feel like he'd be like, oh, we're fucked. Like <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, what do I do? I need yeah. to do something. So yeah, because like, the woman is here yeah. and it's like the woman needs to be like, okay, this is what we're doing. I need you to meet me here. Do what you have to do to meet me here. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Brenton's doing that. Like he's like, okay, that's what you want to do. I've got some concerns, but I'm going to look at it and then I'm going to meet you there. Mm. I feel like that's if we um if we look at it in terms of polar- polarity mm. um, in the birth space and when it comes to pregnancy and even like for the most part raising the kids, like we take the leadership role there. And that's where, where we have to lead our men. Whereas I guess in, in the rest of life, we can kind of take a bit of a back, a back seat yes. and let our men lead and they get to be the, like mm. owner. This is just turning yeah. into a polarity conversation. I know, I know. But like, uh, <laughs> oh, my brain works. No, um, I love it though because it's so but yeah, relevant. But yeah, if you, like, you want to take it in those kind of like using that terminology, like this is one of those times where – where mm. we lead the conversation, we lead like the mm. play by play. And yeah, and I, and then I guess if there are people out there who can't see eye to eye, mm. a, a good place would be trying to find a birth keeper. <laughs> but some, and you know what to do? Uh, I've definitely had some women who have not had their partners there. And that has been the best thing for both of them. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of couples, that conversation needs to be had as well because yeah. I think there's a big expectation that men are there. But mm-hmm. really deep down, if a man is like, I really don't want to be there, have that conversation. And maybe she doesn't actually want him there either. Mm-hmm. I mean, safety is a whole other thing. If there's if a woman doesn't feel safe in the relationship, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing. But, yeah, for a I've had a couple of women now not birth with their partner there and then he came in afterwards or came home afterwards and it was perfect for all of them. Yeah. It was great. And I, I think that's something to consider too because we've got like, I mean, and I am very guilty of this, where we put so much pressure on our partners to do everything, to wear all the hats there, yeah. you know, I'm poor togger he's catching the baby he's cleaning up afterwards he's making sure the kids are okay as well like i'm like don't you disrupt the photographer because they're just taking photos <laughs> feed, feed the photographer too yeah yeah yeah. make me a cup of tea afterwards like i mean he'll defrost colostrum for me like he's, he's wearing a lot of hats and i yeah, think he congratulated these men as well and yeah just like, 
But I think sometimes if we just let them take on the role of being protector and maybe that means you're protecting the exterior of the house <laughs> with some <laughs> headphones in and, Absolutely. and then the supporting person. I just who had a vision of like a guard, guard dog energy just doing laps. <laughs> <into> the- <laughs> and then the supporting person comes out when the baby's out and then you get to go back, you know, like, and that's, that is okay too. So long as, I mean, yeah. as a couple, you come to that yeah. conclusion. But yeah. No. Because when you look at it, so birth is ceremony. So you're going into ceremony and your partner's there to protect that space while you're deep in it. Mm. So that's what they're doing as well. You know, protect literally protecting the boundary of the house. And in terms of phones, like if you're going to have a phone, like they're doing all of that. Mm. They're stopping all anything penetrating your energy. That's their role to protect that but not interfere with it mm. with any absolutely from them yeah yeah oh given the men a lot to think about yeah <laughs> nothing that they don't already i think right? haven't done a good job at so far yeah and when Togger yeah. calls himself the midwife now there's actually yeah. there's yeah. a few dads on our street that have now caught babies and they just walk around like yeah can do this need an obstetrician I can do that like oh you need help with that first phase yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they're just these men that are coming through you know witnessing undisturbed birth are just so clear they just walk on a cloud and they're just in awe of their women and they're just so the love between the men and the woman is just enhanced exceptionally you know and they can't wait to do it again whereas you know when I was supporting hospital I never once heard that straight away mm. can't wait to do that again mm. but I hear it every single time cannot wait to do that again from both of them because they're just like blown away this is actually birth yeah, Togger yeah. will be like, that's our last one because <laughs> while birth is fantastic, he's like five is lots of children. <laughs> we don't, we're good, we're five is fine. Brenton on the other hand, Brenton on the other hand, he's like, oh, let's keep going. Even after this yeah. one, I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but um, it's wild that these like I've had so many of these conversations and it's always the same thing. Like undisturbed home birth, it's pure bliss, joy, transformative, and it never gets old. I've never heard a story where it's been even, you know, even some beautiful, Brooke who we've had on the show, um, her beautiful free birth ended up in a transfer because there was something that was, there was just something that happened. And if you want to know, you can listen to the episode, but even that story like would do it again beautiful absolutely incredible transformative and um and the power that she held yeah I was I was there when she transferred and it was an onslaught and I mean again listeners you can go listen to the episode but her grounded Mm. power was just insane like to be in the presence of it I was like oh I bow down to you goddess like Mm. (laughs) this is unbelievable but it's wild because these stories and this type of you know outcome is constantly censored good segue and (laughs) and it drives me nuts because you know like even another one of our episodes Layla she had a twin birth and you know, she proved herself to a midwife in a hospital and was kind of a bit sassy. It was like, see, I see, I had a twin 
birth. No, that was the obstetrician. The, oh, She's obstetrician. like, oh, now you've seen a twin birth in, in water. In water yeah. and unmedicated or whatever. And she was like, well, I'm going to have to see more than one. And so it's <sighs> like it doesn't matter how good it gets, there'll always be this resistant and this like you can't do that, it's dangerous, it's not good enough. It's, you know, it's just really, really silly of you to put yourself in that position when, you know, all these, this list of things can go wrong and you're putting yourself in danger and righty, righty, rah. We, how do we break through this? Like, why is this so censored? I mean, and we've spoken about this, Michelle, before and you have so beautifully called it out on your Instagram page that there is a major birth sharing platform here um, which is brilliant and I, I, I mean I love birth stories so I do all birth stories I think are amazing but also something we can learn from. Um, yeah. However, not one sovereign birth in sight and it is – such a disservice to women to be excluding one of the most natural physiological momentous occasions any woman can have mm. and only only show what happens with the pre- like within the presence of someone else yeah. so I'd love to chat to you about that because I know that you feel quite strongly about this as well. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, I just firmly believe that if you, if anyone's going to share birth stories, it needs to encapsulate all birth stories, all scenarios of birth, because otherwise those stories are not being heard by women. And then women don't know that it's possible. And then more women are including the system in their births when really they don't need to be. And it absolutely is doing a disservice to women. It's not supporting women at all. And it's, yeah, it's just doing such a disservice because the stories are truly powerful. And like I said, these women who are birthing undisturbed, very rarely will then go to birth in hospital or have the system as part of their birth. So perhaps that's part of it. I don't know. Dare I say, I don't know if there are any kickbacks being happen, like happening. I don't know what's going on there. Mm. Or if there's for this particular woman some birth trauma of her own that she hasn't looked at. Is there some fear around birth? Mm. And that's why sovereign birth is being labelled as dangerous because if you are claiming to be on board and um, supporting women, if you're not supporting them to birth how and where they want to, then you're not supporting women. Well, and it's just withholding information, really vital information because even, and I've again said this before, but even if you are hell-bent on a hospital birth, there is nothing wrong with knowing that actually women's bodies just push babies out to without anyone there. And it's yeah. and going in with just that amount of confidence, having mm. just seen or heard about a woman who got knocked up, belly grew, baby came out. Like it's yeah. it's it's so important to know 
like to have that information. It's so important to yeah. know that it's not babies don't only come out when you've got medical assistance. Yeah, <laughs> it's very much censored, and it's v- almost feels like it's sort of underground and. We need to bring it out into the light. Mm. Like I said earlier, it's not illegal to birth your baby and it's very ex- and it's the most powerful thing that a woman can do is birth so- sovereignly. Um, and not sharing those stories, withholding that information yet is doing a huge disservice to women. And it's not okay when you've got such a big platform. So many women are hearing these stories. They need to know that there is a whole other sector that's possible mm. and that and choose to do that if you want if that feels good for you and if that feels safe for you that is an option yeah no and and I also feel that there's an an added layer to it because obviously we live in an area where sovereign birth is sought out and often experienced and these are all very valid women and they're all coming to this conclusion and coming to this way of birthing their babies and having their babies from really important decisions. Like they've they've either come from a really traumatic birth or they've been within the birth world and seen traumatic births or they're just like, I have full trust and capability and and I know that if there was a medical emergency, I would seek that help. Yeah. And until that point, I don't need like medical help. So, mm. and just, just by not sharing those women's stories where they've been in their strength and their power, their decision make, make, that making, and even like if they've had regrets or there are things that they would do differently – you're invalidating an entire demographic of women and that that's actually really heartbreaking and that gets me because because I know so many intelligent very intelligent women who have come to the decision of birthing in their own power and for like incredible valid reasons and yeah and then to to censor that to silence them to yeah vilify their choices i think is sending a really big message that um i don't know if it's intentional or not but it needs to be called out it does need to be called out absolutely as yeah if we're going to share birth stories we need to share the whole scope of them and there's, like you said, one whole demographic that's been shunned and been labelled as dangerous and it's just not because if we're not including that demographic, then what we're saying is that birth is a medical event and it needs medical a medical provider there and that's just simply not true. Mm. It's not a medical event. It can become one and you can choose to seek that support if needed and that's what it's there for. But going into birth, it's not a medical event. Mm not hmm. it's crazy that's a big one it's it such is. a big one it's so big. well it's just unfortunate because I feel like you know I I'm definitely someone who's open to having like a birth keeper or doula or even someone who's trained to like save a baby if need be in your own yeah. home um I feel like the constant shunning of people like us that want to birth unassisted 
it stops us from having access to people in that more traditional authentic midwife position because it doesn't populate us if you know what I mean Mm. like there's no like oh my god look at that demographic it's so you know incredible it's so popular like I see that there's a hole in that system that you know more traditional authentic midwives can be there supporting these women it's just Mm. like there's no there's there's no inclusion of that so there's lack there's you know there's nothing for us if that makes sense and I think that actually it can almost create a bit of an extremist point of view too like Mm. within the world of sovereign birth because if you are yeah if it is a censored taboo topic we can't talk about this it might attract or I don't know create almost um biases where women may may like just out of rebellion do things against their intuition as well and so and I feel like you know yeah so there I mean it's such a (laughs) multi-layered nuanced topic because yeah that I mean by silencing anyone you, you do you can always create like the extremes um and I think that sometimes happens as well and you see maybe women stepping into a sovereign birth but not from a centred place and yeah. a place of not a intuition. Yeah, yeah, it's not resourced yeah. and and maybe they they can't get the people around them educated on it or on board and so mm. it's almost hidden and becomes more dangerous because then there it's coming from a place of fear which is not yeah. where anyone should be better birthing from so um yeah I think it's really multifaceted I think that it's something that needs to be considered but I think shining a light on this dark world of sovereign birth (laughs) (laughs) stories you know and getting this word out there like your podcast is amazing you know road to wisdom which is what it's all about you know sovereignty and that includes and it cannot not include birth Mm. Totally. Mm. And for some reason, that's taking a really big chunk of our brain space at the moment. <laughs> or the lack of. Or the lack of. You know what? I'm quite surprised we've even been able to have this conversation, Michelle. <laughs> oh. It's going to go pretty down yeah. after this. I mean, check in, we've check got in, some in five months and we'll be like, <laughs> we've got some pretty important guests coming on and we're just oh. like, how do we keep our words? We need to maintain our vocabulary. <laughs> oh. so, yeah, it's such a big conversation. Um, it definitely needs to be spoken about more and just surrounding yourself with the people who are sharing their stories. Mm. I know, um, you know, Maggie and I have got a podcast and it is called specifically Australian Freebirth Stories because that's what we're sharing because that's not that's what's not being shared mm. and that's what women don't have access to. So, yeah, we haven't recorded for a while but we're getting back into it. But, yeah, so Amazing. that's what's needed. Oh, which is amazing and, yeah, if people need to find more because obviously that's not our sole um, no. <laughs> our soul content, they can <laughs> find your podcast and listen to those stories which, yeah, is it's helpful because you need to know the full spectrum. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 
Excellent. Amazing. Now, where can where can our listeners find you, Michelle? Um, I'm most visible on Instagram and my handle is Michelle Palacia and on there you'll find the links to my website, email, all the things. So And yeah. podcast and we will link to those in our show notes too. Make it nice and easy for everyone. Amazing. Michelle, are you offering like online kind of because I know you only service tiny little area of the world um are you doing any online or virtual support for families birthing yeah I do offer virtual birth keeper support so I have I am supporting a couple of families at the moment and that's worldwide Mm -hmm. so I've supported some people in France and all over Australia and then we just FaceTime when mum's in the pool with her baby and she says, I did it. And I said, of course you did. So, yeah, it's amazing. So that support just goes through pregnancy and we just do it via Zoom. Mm. Yes, I do offer that. And there's links in my amazing. Instagram. For that too. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a yarn with us today. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Michelle. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you. It's been so beautiful to chat with you and meet you. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.